morning again. We're glad each of you are here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, get over to Luke chapter 22. And again, we're in this series on hope and how hope is greater than really anything we will face. And we're, we've kind of been journeying through how do we actually experience hope in our life. And it's it's been one of those words, I, I know the more I've studied it, and maybe we've studied it as a congregation, I hope that it's coming alive. I hope that you're beginning to see that hope is not just something someday. And that's kind of the first myth we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is that hope is something that one day I'll experience it. You know, I have to drudge through life today and you know, make the, maybe it's the worst of times, but one day things will get better. And we talked about that that's a myth, that really hope is something we can experience every day. We can get the fullness of this life every day. God's not withholding His hope from us. And we, we talked about the idea that that kind of thought process of thinking one day actually makes hope a little discouraging. Because you're like, why not give it to me today, God? Why, why do I have to... Well, I thought following you was about the abundant life, and, and it is. And then last week we talked about this idea that hope is when we face challenges, when we face difficulties in our life, that we think hope is when God delivers us from that. So I don't have to face the consequences. And, uh, you know, these challenges that come our way. And so God just get me out of here. And that's not what hope is either. Hope is actually instead being able to journey through those circumstances with Christ. It's that we may face difficulties, we may face challenges, but the hope is that we can stand tall and stand firm. And we talked about stopping and abiding in Christ. And then we get to a, to be with Him no matter what is going on. And that's where our hope is. And I, that was a great reminder for me this week. And just busyness of life and everything. I, I was reminded like, whatever is going on today, I'm with Christ. And that's a good thing. That's hope. No matter what I face today, I'm abiding with Him, and there's hope in that. And so we've been kind of pushing back on some myths of what we think hope is, or just, you know, one day I'll get it, or deliver me from this, and then my hope is, is made known. And and today we're going to look at a different way that we deal with hope, and it's how we deal with it when we come to failures in our life. I'll be honest, usually when I hear the idea of hope and failure taught about, it's usually like this, like, man, I tried to do something and I just came up short. Like, it just didn't work out for me this time, but next time I'll try harder and I'll pray more and maybe God will come through for me then. And it's this idea of, like, if I can just figure out the right formula, then I won't fail next time, right? So if I, if I could just figure out maybe I didn't pray right this time, or maybe I didn't do my part and God was waiting for me to do something else, or, or maybe it was my disobedience and God withheld His blessings from me. So I just got to figure out the right combination, I don't know about you, one of the things that used to frustrate me the most in high school growing up was the combination on my locker. I mean, you would have like four minutes to get between class, and I would go, and it was 32, 20, you know, and it was, you had to put it in this, not just the right sequence, you had to turn it so many times this way, so many times, it's like so frustrating to sometimes, and you're like, I know I did it just right, and you would pop it, and what? It wouldn't open. And you had to do it again, do it again, do it till you did it exactly right. And I think sometimes we think that's how hope is unlocked in our life or how we stop failing in our life is when we finally figure out the right combination. And I want to be very clear, that's not the kind of thing we're talking about. As a matter of fact, Scripture doesn't even teach that. Scripture actually teaches we're hopeless without Christ. 
Like there's not something that we even add to the equation. It's that our total dependence is on Him. And so what I'm not talking about today when we talk about failures is like just shortcomings. Like when we, when we came up short in our life. Because the question I would have is this, is do I then I really need hope if all I need is just to work harder and work smarter and figure out the right combination? That's not hope. That's just me trying to do better. And that's not what the gospel is. But I do need hope when through the desires of my heart and the motives of my soul and the work of my own hands, I have caused pain and dismay to other people and I have chosen to willfully disobey God. So what I want you to see this morning, we're not talking about failures of just falling short. We're talking about failures in our life where we actually have shortcomings in our life. Where it's not that we just failed and take this in the right motive, I'm going to tell you, it's that we're failures. It's that we without God are failures. It's not that we just stumbled into something wrong, but it's the fact that, you know, I willingly chose to do something that I knew was wrong, and because of that choice, I caused pain and heartache in my life and other people's life. How in the depth of that, in me choosing to do wrong, how can I still experience hope? Because I want to be very honest with you, and I don't think this is a surprise to any of you in here, when we do that, when we choose and we willfully walk against God's way, most of us say, I don't, I don't deserve God's hope. I don't deserve God to do anything for me. Uh, my freshman year of college, I had never... I graduated high school as an honor student. I was National Honor Society. I'm not saying that to be smart. I was just... I didn't really have to do much in high school. It was pretty easy. And... I got to college, and my freshman year, I failed 11 hours and made some other poor decisions. I just began, I've told some of you before, my freshman year in college was kind of my journey away from God. It's not that I did everything I could to see how far I could run from God. I just mentally decided in my life, I'm going to run my life instead of listening to God. And it led me down a horrible path. And by the end of my freshman year, I had been kicked out of the engineering program at my school. My parents brought me back home, and I was going to a school at home. And I can tell you, I felt like a complete failure. I mean, not just failing classes, but I felt like I had had been given an opportunity, and I had squandered that opportunity, and I had failed miserably by my own choices. It wasn't that I got there. And I'll tell you, our culture told us then, it tells us now, like, blame other people, right? Well, that's my professors. They should have given me better grades. They, they didn't like the work I turned in. You know, when I was honest about it, though, I, I went back and I failed. This is to tell you how great I am. I love history, but I failed history 101 twice. <laughs> I failed it twice. And here's why. I didn't go to class. I just, it was right after lunch, and it was like, you know, I would go eat lunch a beautiful afternoon, and here was my downfall. From where I had to park to go to class and where the building was, the baseball field was in between. And all, just about every afternoon, they were playing baseball in that semester, and I would hear them, over, and I would slowly wander over to the baseball field instead of class. And by my own choices, I failed. But I could have blamed that on a lot of different things. But what we have to start and where the beginning of hope is is understanding sometimes I get to where I'm at because of the choices I made. Not just because of the circumstances around me, not because of what somebody else did in my life, but because I willfully chose to disobey 
and walk down a separate path than what God intended. I chose an unwise path when he called me to a wise path. And, and that's, none of us like to sit in here and embrace that. We're not like, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm a failure this morning. All right? that's not, we're not all just jumping for joy in here this morning. But I want you to understand in this teaching and what we're going to look at here, there is actually freedom once we understand we're failures. Because then salvation and hope are not dependent upon me. They're dependent upon God and who He is. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at this idea of why do we sometimes do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we know we're supposed to do. I mean, that's what Paul said in Romans. He's like, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. I know what I'm not supposed to do and guess what? I do it anyway. And he's struggling back and forth. You know, if Paul understood he was a failure, it's okay for us to understand that we're failures. But I love the fact that God doesn't leave us there. This is the idea that it is not just today, this is not a session that we're going to walk out of here and go, I'm a failure, thank you, and we have a new badge of honor to wear today. All right? It is understanding how God takes failure and steals hope even at the bottom of who we are and restores us to what He designed us to be. And I want us to do this today by looking at one character in Scripture. And this character, this man in the Bible we're going to look at, seemed to constantly fail. I mean, he was... Sometimes he acted boldly, and in his boldness he failed. Sometimes he would act irrationally, and in his irrational, he would fail. Other times he deliberately chose to do what was wrong in the sight of God. But this same man is also an incredible example to us of what it means to follow Christ boldly. He was a man that Christ would eventually use to establish His church and and to accomplish incredible things. He was a man that would speak and thousands would surrender their lives to Christ. A man who would eventually be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that Christ was. He died as a martyr for Christ. And this man that we know, his name is Peter. Peter. He was a disciple of Christ. Peter was originally a fisherman by trade. Christ called him to follow him, and he turned down, dropped his nets, literally after one of the biggest catches in their life, and said, I'll follow you. And he spent three years journeying with Jesus. He had heard Jesus' teachings firsthand. He had had private conversations with Christ, been able to ask him questions and get direct answers. He had seen Jesus perform amazing miracles. I mean, not just things like feeding the 5,000. He saw him bring people back to life. He saw sick that were healed. He saw people that could never see before all of a sudden have sight. I mean, you talk about a front row seat to establishing faith, and you're thinking these men, these disciples, especially Peter, who was one of the closest to Christ, he should be able to do it if nobody else can. He shouldn't fail even if everybody else does. Surely those closest to him can survive without failing in their faith. But that's not the case. Peter often failed. And today I want us to briefly look at a couple of failing moments from Peter's life and learn how his failures, from his failures and his restoration, and how hope can overcome even the darkest of moments in your life. The first story I want us to look at, uh, if you want to turn, we're going to, 
be eventually in the passage I told you. We're going to start in Matthew 14. And this is the story of Peter walking on water. It's really Jesus walking on water and Peter stepping on water for a little bit and falling in. But uh, the, the story is this in Matthew 14. Uh, I'll start reading in verse 26. It says this, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So to get you the picture here, the disciples had gone out in a boat ahead of Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to go. It had been a busy day for him. Crazy things have been happening. And he said, I'm going to kind of go have some time by myself. You guys go in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Over there in the sea, it starts to get crazy. Uh, It says it's so turbulent, they really think they're going down. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and it terrifies them. I can imagine I would probably be the same way. I mean, I'd... I've never seen somebody walk on water, but immediately when I saw that, I would probably like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? And so they're, they're afraid. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter makes an amazing statement here. Everybody else is in the boat like, oh, it's Jesus. Like, maybe everything's going to be all right. And Peter does this. This is part of his rash nature. What does he say? Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I love that about Peter. I mean, I love that, that he's like, you know, you're doing something cool? I want to do something cool. Like, let me, let me do it. Can I do this with you? I mean, I can just see the excitement in his face. Like, dude, you're walking on water. I want to be able to do that as well. And so what does Jesus say? He says one word, come, come. And I love that. Jesus loves it when we're passionate about what he's doing. When, when we see something in the life of Christ that causes us to have passion, Jesus says, come on. Get on, get excited. Come be a part of it. And so he says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Uh, uh, this imagery, I... Sometimes, you know, it's one sentence here in the Bible, but I imagine what was really going on there. We could write a novel about these these few moments. As Peter gets out of the water, I mean, for the first time, you know, he's standing literally on top of water and he's not sinking. Just the, the thought that he would have in that. But then he starts walking. And I just, I may add a little license here. I think maybe he turned around to the guys on the boat and were like, like you know, like, check me out. Like, and when he turned to look at them, he saw this wave coming out. And he was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And in that moment, he lost faith. And he began to sing. But what does he say? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord immediately reached down and grabbed him. And I thought, you know, as, as much of a success story as that is, I can imagine Peter probably got ribbed about that when they're sitting around the campfire from there on out. Like, you know, hey, what would you, you take, two steps, Peter, before you fell? You know I mean? I can just imagine the disciples. If you've ever been around men for any period of long time, and they're together for a long time, the way that we love each other is by ripping on each other. And so I can imagine that they were just letting Peter kind of have it. But in that moment of success, what did he do? He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he fell, and he sank. And in that moment, he just lost hope. And isn't it that quick in our lives? That we can be walking and doing something amazing and simply take our focus off of Christ and put it on something else. And our life goes sideways just like that. Just like that. Failure often comes when we take our eyes off of the one that we're called to follow and the one that told us to come. 
When, when Jesus tells us to come, it also means that we keep focused on Him. And I love what Jesus did here. As soon as Peter began to fall, what does he do? He reaches down and saves him. And he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then they got back into the boat and the wind ceased. It just stopped. Like, everything's calm at this point. And I imagine, I just imagine Peter's there dripping wet now because he had fallen in the water and he's there. And it could have been this moment of like, Jesus like, you know, what were you thinking? And instead, he uses these words. You have little faith. Why did, and I want you to understand, those, those are not judging words. Those are encouraging words. Because he's saying, not, not, why did you doubt? And you have all these doubts. He said, why did you stop looking? Why did you stop focusing on me? I'm all that you need. I am everything, no matter what is going on around you, I am all that you need. And it was this moment of encouragement for Peter. He's like, you are doing great. And you just lost focus. So don't lose focus. Jesus didn't let him sink. He rescued him immediately and then encouraged him. So that, that's one piece, and we're going to come back to that in a minute to learn something from that. But I want us to look at the second story here, and this is probably the most famous of Peter's failures. And it's in Luke 22, and it's the story when he was, uh, Jesus was, uh, had told Peter earlier at dinner that night that you're going to be, uh, deny me three times. I'm going to be arrested, and you're going to deny me. And, G- and Peter's like, no way. I don't know what you're thinking about. I said, I'll die for you before I will deny you. And that came out of Peter's mouth. Like literally hours before this story that we're going to read. And so look at this. Verse 54, uh, Luke 22. Then they seized him, talking about Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So, I mean, he was already like, he's trying to see what's going on, but he's not getting too close. Right? And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else came to him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's often part of the times we miss. Peter was close enough to Jesus and saw what was still happening to Jesus. And I imagine still within earshot of Jesus, and Jesus could hear what was going on. And as soon as he, the, the rooster crowed three times, Jesus looked at him. And can you imagine that feeling of the guilt? And he said, the Lord turned and looked at P- Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. It says, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What, what would you be thinking if you were Peter at that point? I, uh, I've, I've had times in my life when I have just I've shut God out completely. That I, I mean, denied Him, betrayed Him, whatever you want to call it. Like when I've just said, I don't want to be known as a Christian. I want to be known as Patrick. I mean, that's, I wanted to lose my identity in Christ. And there are times that when you do that, that you just, there's a regret that comes over you when you realize what you've done. And if I'm Peter in there, you know, I'm starting to think, man, just a few hours ago, I said I was willing to die for this man, and my big moment came, and I failed. 
My chance to take a stand came, and I failed. Or you might have been thinking, no, I could have stopped them from getting Jesus. I could have stopped this whole crucifixion. I could have told them to take me instead, and I failed. I just stood by. Or you might be thinking, man, the one who invested so much in me, I had little regard for him when it came to the biggest moment in his life. You know, or you might start to think, man, the last three years that this person has invested in me is now meaningless. Like, I failed him tremendously. So I, it's just been meaningless what's happened the last three years that they had spent together. In my mind, it would have been an epic failure. Epic proportions. I mean, it's recorded in Scripture for all history to look back over and read over. It is an epic failure. But it didn't end Peter. That's not where Peter's story ends. It's not even where Peter and Jesus' story ends. I would dare say most of us, if we had that kind of epic failure in a relationship, it might be the end of that relationship. We, we might move in separate paths and remember what it used to be like, but it can never be there again. But Jesus responds to Peter after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. They come back together, and Jesus does something amazing with Peter, and it's what he can do with us. And he can take that failure and turn it into hope. And let's look how he does that. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Mark 16. And we're going to just look at a couple of verses uh, in there that uh, help us to understand a couple of things, then we're going to turn back to John. And sorry we're jumping around, but there's so many parts of this story with, with, uh, with uh, Peter. So Mark 16, 6-7 says this. This was after the resurrection, and uh, some women had come to the tomb uh, to see about the body of Christ. And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. And then verse 7 is so key. But go tell his disciples, and what? And Peter. So there's two things that I want you to say. What that meant is Peter was no longer with the disciples. Like he, you might feel like he did. Like I can't, I'm not worthy to be around you guys anymore, even though they all ran away too. Like I just, he wants to go hide. But he's, you have to understand one, Peter had separated himself, but then I love the fact that Jesus, or the angel said, hey, Jesus told me to tell you to go get, make sure you don't leave Peter out. Get him back here too. And when the women told Peter that, I don't know how you're going to feel. I'd be a little scared. <laughs> like, this guy just came back from the dead, and he wants to meet with me? And the last thing he heard me say was, I don't know the man. I've never been around him in my life. Like, this is not going to end well. I mean, that's immediately what would be going through my mind. Like, all right, it's, you know, my days are numbered. It's, uh, it, it is over for me. But instead, Jesus does something miraculous. Turn over to John 21, and we'll finish by looking at this passage. So, so Jesus had come to his disciples. They had, again, he had kind of revealed himself to them a few times. This was another. He came and met them on the beach. And they basically had a little fish fry on the beach. And they're hanging out. And up to this point, and from what we can tell in Scripture, Jesus and Peter had not talked. And they're all kind of hanging. Can you, can you maybe feel a little tension in the air? 
Like they're all eating some fish, and Peter's like, "All right, when are we going to get to this? Like, when are you going to? When's this going to happen? How's how's this going to go down?" And Jesus says, "When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I can just see, like, all the other disciples are around, like they're all like, okay, it's about to go down. Like they they got a front row seat to the to this rebuking here that Jesus is going to lay on Peter, and." I just imagine the tension that was there. And he goes, Simon, son of John. Isn't that kind of like when you call your kids by the middle name? Like Patrick Daniel Thompson. You know, you know it's not a good... He's like, Simon, son of John. Like, okay, I'm in trouble here. says, do you love me more than these? What a loaded question. First of all, it's not just do you love me, but do you love me more than these? Why do you think he did that? Do you remember what Peter said at the table before... He denied Christ. He said, all of these may fall away, but never me. Never me. And who fell away? Peter. And so, Jesus has taken him back to the point where he got off track, which was his pride. He said, do you love me more than these? Do you remember when you said that? And I love the context here because he says, Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Can you almost hear the pleading in Peter's voice? Lord, you you know I love you. You know I do. And he didn't say more than these this time. He's like, these guys may not love you. He's like, all I can speak for is me this time. I love you. And then Jesus continues here. And a second time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, You know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. You know, this had to be torture for Peter. Is is Jesus trying to humiliate me here? What's he doing? Do I I love you? Of course I do. Are you trying to make me look foolish? Are you actually doubting that I love you? I mean, is that, what's your motive in this? I, I think in this second question here, Peter is really tormenting in his soul. Like, what is Jesus doing here? Why, why isn't he saying, it's all right, Peter, I love you. Why does he keep asking if if I love him? And then the the third time, Jesus does this again. He says unto him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, it said, because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And then I think a switch flipped in Peter's mind. He understood what Jesus was doing here. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. (laughs) That's, That's the key because... He realized at that point, Jesus wasn't wondering whether he loved him or not. He wasn't, he wasn't asking this for Jesus' benefit. Like, okay, you denied me three times, I'm going to make you tell you you love me three times. I'm going to make you pay me. He was using this repetitive question to say, Peter, you know, you know me well enough to know that I love you. But you need to remember that you have a deep love for me too. Even though you failed. Even though you went astray, it does not mean that your love for me is diminished. And restoration comes often, not when we remember that God loves us. I'm thankful for that. I never want to take that for granted. And there are times we need a reminder of that. But Jesus was reminding Peter, in your heart, in the depths of your soul, you love me. You made a poor decision. You went a wrong way, a direction that I didn't want you to go. 
but you still love me. There's, there came a point when Peter then realized that the question he asked him wasn't for Jesus' benefit, but it was for the benefit of Peter's soul, of restoring his soul. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's saying, listen to yourself. Step out from under the guilt of your failure and instead live out of the hope that you have and the love that you have for me. That's part of a relationship, isn't it, with Christ? It's not just remembering, oh, you love us. You, thank you for the love that you've given us. It is also remembering that we live out of the love that we have for Christ. And that's what he was telling Peter. Look, as you are remembering your love for me, you will begin to feed my sheep. You'll begin to make impact again in other people's life. You don't have to live under the guilt of this failure. So let me ask you a simple question this morning. Do you love Jesus? Where, where have you failed Him? Where is it that you've been focusing on your failure instead of Him? Where are you sinking instead of walking on water? Again, do you love Him? Do you love Jesus? Where have you been beating yourself up because of your failures? Where is it in your own life that you're allowing your failure to define who you are and you can't get past the fact that Jesus has already gotten past that in your life? Your failure, your sin, it's already forgiven. God's payment for that on the cross through Christ. So we willingly submit to Him. It's, it's paid for. There's not something we have to do to get back into God's good graces. God's grace is sufficient for our sin. And it's that second time I think Peter began to realize that when he said, do you love, do you love me? It's like, it's not about me. And so the third time I would ask you, do you love Jesus? Remind yourself of the love in your heart that you have for your Savior. Remember that He called you. You answered and you know and you walk in relationship with Him. You are not forgotten or left behind even if you failed. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I, I want to close with this. Just a couple of things to think about. You will fail. You can look around and see everybody in this room, and I will tell you, everybody in this room is going to fail at something and at some time in their life. As much as they want to please Christ and follow Christ, you will fail. You will fail. You will fail repeatedly. Not just once, repeatedly. It's not, it's not something we ought to celebrate, but it's a truth in our life. And while God doesn't desire for us to fail, He also doesn't disqualify us when we do as well. He doesn't put us on the sidelines. He doesn't take us out of the game. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. It is His kindness that leads us to obedience. Not His, his kindness. And the third thing is this. Hope is always found in the presence of Christ. That's where your hope is. And when we fail and we begin to fall away from Christ and we think we're not worthy to be in His presence and we start walking away from Him and get farther away from Him, we start to lose hope. And the amazing thing, we've talked about this, the farther we, no matter how far we walk from God, as soon as we repent and turn back, guess who's right there behind us? Christ is there. We don't have to make our way all the way back. He's right there ready to restore when we fail, we must move closer to Christ instead of running from Him. 
So I'll close with this thought. Are you focusing on failing? Are you focusing on following? Are you focusing on the failures you've had in your life, the things that you struggle with today on a regular basis, and I, this is who I am? Are you focused instead on following? And I'll tell you this. I've seen this in my life, and I see it throughout Scripture. When I follow, as Peter had his eyes focused on Jesus when he got out of that boat, and he was following Jesus, it's much more difficult to fail when we follow. So focus on following, and the failures will begin to begin to dissipate in our life. Let's bow our head and close our eyes.